Welcome to the News Flash. My name is Sarah Devlin, and I'm a news editor for Washington Square News. This is WSN's weekly podcast in which we break down a few of the most interesting stories happening in and around NYU's campus. Our first story today is about mental health at Stern and whether or not Stern students are more stressed than others. I'll be talking to managing editor Jemima McAvoy, who's been reporting the story for the past few weeks. We'll also be talking about the student labor action movement, better known as SLAM, a group that's been in the headlines for the past two or three weeks. Deputy news editor Alex Dom has the story. But first, I'm here with Jemima McAvoy. Jemima, thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. So how did this story come about? So I was talking to a few of my friends in Stern, one of which was the vice president of the Stern freshman class last year. And he was talking about how Stern clubs have been approaching the issue of mental health and how mental health is an issue within Stern. I already had an inkling from talking to students from different schools around campus that the vibe of Stern was a little bit different from other schools. Students seemed more stressed out, lower GPAs in general. It's just a very competitive school. Um, So I decided to take a look into it. And after speaking to my friend who was a part of student council, uh, he directed me towards an event that the student council held last year called the Breaking Points Panel. And that event really sparked my interest and made me think that there was a story. So what was the Breaking Points Panel? So the Breaking Points Panel was an event held by this group called Stern Thoughtful last year. And Stern Thoughtful was basically a conglomeration of a a bunch of um, Stern school clubs, including the Stern Student Council and Women in Stern, um, and other other clubs within the school. And they invited a bunch of upperclassmen panelists, I think four or five panelists, to come and speak about when they had reached their breaking points within Stern. And for me, that was a huge red flag if I was an administrator within Stern and heard that my students were holding a panel called the breaking points panel about when they had reached their mental health breaking points, I think I would be very concerned. So I decided to try and speak to students, um, speak to panelists, and speak to the Stern administration to find out whether they viewed this as an issue and use this as a starting point for exploring the issue of mental health within Stern. This was actually the only event held by Stern Thoughtful before it turned into a new mental health initiative run by the Stern Student Council called the Health and Wellness Committee. Was Stern Thoughtful the first mental health initiative or had there been others in the past? Surprisingly, this was the first tangible mental health initiative within Stern. Um, The school has been becoming increasingly competitive in terms of its acceptance rate lowering each year. More people are applying, thus pushing the admit rate down. So you would think that there would be some efforts within Stern, either from the administration or student run, towards creating a platform for students to speak about mental health. Or at least that's what I thought. Um, But Stern Thoughtful's event, the Breaking Points panel, was the first real event that I'm aware of that was held um, by Stern students to combat this issue. And when I spoke to the administration, they said that they had tried different things in the past, but they all seemed a little bit wishy-washy, like puppy therapy days. And they said that they tried bringing a um, table from the wellness center, like a representative from the wellness center to a Stern event, but obviously nobody wanted to go and talk about their mental health issues at a public event. So none of those issues and none of those efforts ever really um, made any grounds in terms of 
providing students with good services to um, tackle the issue of mental health. So Stern Thoughtful was really the first thing. That panel was apparently filled to the, the room was filled at that panel. Um, and from there, that's when the Health and Wellness Committee was founded by Stern Student Council. Why do you think Stern students are so much more stressed than other schools or are they not? Well, the, the answer to that is a little bit difficult to pin down because from the interviews that I had with students, it seemed that those unaffiliated with the Stern Student Council were more likely to admit that yes, they were, they were more stressed out than they think other schools were. Specifically, this one lady I spoke to, Jane Chinook, who is a recent graduate of um, NYU Stern and the College of Arts and Science in 2016, she, having had both experiences in both schools, said that there is definitely a, a palpable difference between the two. She said that one of the main reasons why was because of the grading structure within Stern, which only allows for a certain number of people to do well. According to NYU Stern's grading standards, um, the guidelines state that in core classes of over 25 students, only 35% of the students will receive an A or an A minus. To put a limit on the amount of people that can succeed in a class breeds a kind of competition between classmates that is unparalleled within other schools. Chinook told me about um, an occasion where Stern students would there was a group of Stern students tutoring other Stern students and they were giving purposefully giving them the wrong answers as to give themselves an advantage within the curve. I didn't manage to um, find anybody who had been involved with that in order to corroborate that story, but I heard from a couple of different people similar tales of um, students giving each other wrong answers, not being able to trust your classmates. And um, Jane Chinook said that you spend a lot of your time sitting around and thinking about whether the person next to you is going to take the curve away from your favor. Um, so that definitely seems to be a factor in why mental health is a bigger issue within Stern than other schools. She said that in CAS, she would find that her results would parallel the amount of effort that she put into her classes, while in Stern, it was a completely different situation, and she would often find herself not doing very well when she had put a lot of work in. So even if you score a 94 on a test and you're the, in the 36 percentile of scores, you still don't get an A? Exactly. So you told me that you met with a pretty sizable group of Stern admin. How did that go and what did they tell you? Well, that was actually one of the most frustrating parts of the story is that I tried to reach out to um, organize a meeting with Stern administration members a few weeks ago, maybe a month or more ago, um, via the NYU spokesperson, John Beckman. It took him a very long time and many badgering emails for him to get back to me. But eventually, after being deferred to his assistant, I was set up um, in a meeting in Stern with Aaron Potter, the executive director of communications and dean's special projects, Jessica Neville, executive director of Stern Public Affairs, and Tiffany Baselli, assistant dean of academic advising and judiciary affairs. The key player here was definitely Tiffany Baselli. She spoke for the majority of the hour-long interview, despite my attempts to direct questions at other um, and administrators, and she was very useful in describing the past of Stern admins 
efforts towards mental health and the present as well. She was fairly involved with developing the committee, the mental health committee, along with the Stern Student Council and described some of Stern's failed efforts in the past to promote conversation about mental health within the school. Um, one particularly interesting thing that she told me about was the advisor alert system that the that many schools have implemented, specifically Stern and CAS, I think. She wasn't really sure exactly which schools had um, successfully implemented it, but Stern definitely has. And that's a system in which the registrar partners with schools so that if professors are concerned about a specific student they just go on the roster of the class and click on a button next to the name of the student and a warning will go through to that student's advisor and she said that advisors receive many of those alerts each day that was another red flag to me she seemed to gloss over the fact that both stern professors and non-stern professors were complaining about the well-being of their students on a day-to-day -day basis. There were a lot of red flags for me within the conversation, and I definitely think that the Stern administration is trying. They said that they have conversations about mental health very, very frequently, but it just seemed to me that their efforts were being put in the wrong place, and that the Stern Student Council is definitely onto something with the Mental Health Committee, but it should have been created a few years ago. Have the mental health committees and groups had any success or no? So far, it's hard to say because the committee is definitely in its beginning stages. So what was interesting to me is that both of the co-chairs of the um, wellness and health committee said that there had been a huge influx of interest in students instead in joining the committee. Even though the committee has only existed since the beginning of the semester and is definitely in its early phases and hasn't organized any official big events yet, it seems that students really are interested in getting involved and talking about mental health, which struck me as interesting seeing as the problem seems to be coming from students competing with each other and um, giving each other the wrong answers and trying to get the same jobs, but also their trying to help each other. So there's really a dichotomy within the Stern student body in terms of causing the problem and solving the problem. Talk to me a little bit about the recruitment process for Stern students. So that's actually a really interesting conversation that I had with NYU spokesperson John Beckman and um, the assistant dean of Stern, is that the recruitment process has really changed drastically um, in the past couple of years in that in the past it would be juniors and seniors predominantly applying for jobs and internships and thinking about the future very seriously but now it's changed so that sophomores are doing what juniors used to do that has definitely impacted the student body of Stern because now they're acting like adults much earlier than they would have to in the past and although members of the Stern administration didn't directly answer my questions and in fact were a little bit evasive when I asked them whether they had sensed a change or a shift within the Stern student body, I can only imagine that stressing out about the future would cause students to be stressed much earlier and not knowing how to deal with that stress at such a young age. So we haven't yet talked about the Stern stereotype, which is the belief that Stern students are more cutthroat, more competitive, and more career-oriented than their fellow students in other colleges. Does that stereotype have any bearing in the real world? Is it true? Is it false? Is it mostly true? I don't think I am in the 
place to determine whether or not that stereotype is accurate. I haven't spoken to the majority of the stern population. However, I am willing to comment on what I think as a result of my interviews and my research. And I'd say that the stern type the stern stereotype is definitely grounded somewhere. It seems that students are thinking about the future much earlier or very seriously much earlier than other schools. And there is definitely a sense of extreme competition among classmates. It seems that those students tied to the stern student council were much more um, forthright in denying the stern, the stern stereotype, but at the same time, they would be confirming it to me. And the STEM graduate that I spoke to, she definitely confirmed that it was a difficult environment and that it was because of the STEM stereotype that you couldn't trust your classmates. I don't think that the STEM stereotype is true in terms of one specific kind of person is in STEM, but there's definitely a streak within a lot of the students that leads to the form that has led to the formation of the stereotype. So in the sense that they are career focused and competitive and um, want to do well academically, I'd say yes, that the stereotype exists, but I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Jemima McAvoy, thanks for talking to me. No problem. Joining me now to talk about the student labor action movement is Deputy News Editor Alex Dom. Alex, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So why has SLAM been in the headlines the past few weeks? So SLAM's had a rough couple of weeks in terms of their um, interactions with the administration. So on October 10th, uh, Andrew Hamilton, um, president of NYU, he, he sent SLAM a letter um, that basically claimed that it would be a conflict of interest uh, for SLAM to have um, a student representative on the board of trustees, which is one of the major things that they've been advocating for. Um, so they received this letter. And so on October 21st, which was the same weekend as Alumni Weekend and Parents' Day, they held a protest um, in Kimmel um, that basically exposed many members of uh, the trustee board um, for their own conflicts of interest, kind of in response to Hamilton's claim that that would be a conflict of interest to have a student there as well. How has the university responded to this protest? I imagine they couldn't have been too happy about some student protesters crashing their alumni weekend. No, they weren't um, at all. So I got a statement from John Beckman, um, who is one of the university spokespeople. Um, and while he did not personally make any efforts to kind of uh, de decertify, delegitimize, or, or fight back against SLAM's individual claims, um, he did claim that it was wrong in itself for SLAM to be um, speaking ill of these uh, um, these trustees who are committing a lot of time and money to the university. What are some of SLAM's criticisms of NYU and its board? Yeah, so what SLAM claimed um, in its protests were, were they held up a number of protests with, with trustees um, kind of explaining their own conflicts of interest. So they claimed that William Berkeley, who's the chair of the trustee board, has these ties to fossil fuel companies um, that the vast majority of NYU disagrees with. They also claim that he has benefited off of these private student loan companies. He used to run as private student loan company. Um, and while the consensus is not in um, on whether private student loans are, are wholly a positive or a negative thing, or they can really hurt students, um, the, the, the rates that they charge for these private student loan companies were higher um, than the federal uh, student loans that are given to students. How accurate have SLAM's claims been? 
Yeah. So what's interesting is that um, most of Slam's claims are almost entirely accurate, um, but just the way that they've framed um, and kind of perceived some of the facts that have been given to them um, have kind of um, made their statements um, come off as as interpreted or warped in a certain way. Um, so, for example, um, William Berkeley. It, it's pretty clear he's the chair of the trustee board. Um, it's pretty clear that he profited off of this private student loan company, um, but Slam in their poster for him um, in the alumni weekend protest um, claimed that this was a predatory thing. And claiming that that's predatory is a, is a very subjective opinion um, on these private student loan uh, groups. Um, so while they're completely right in their assessment that he, he got rich off of this group, um, claiming that framing this group as predatory um, makes the issue and makes their claims entirely subjective. How did Slam respond to Andy Hamilton's letter that he sent to the group? Yeah, so uh, Hamilton, uh, to, so Slam has been pretty defiant um, against the administration since receiving this letter. Um, as I mentioned before, they held this protest during an alumni weekend that exposed certain messages. Um, but they also uh, produced and released a copy of their own letter that they received from Hamilton. Um, and they actually annotated it um, with several of their own notes and tried to show inconsistencies in Hamilton's reasoning in their letter. Um, and so that, that um, letter, which they received and then further annotated, has been made available to the press. You can find a link to the annotated letter in the description below. Yeah. Alex, do you know how SLAM plans on reacting in the coming months? So I don't personally know what uh, SLAM's future plans are regarding how they plan to resist the administration or advocate for their causes. Um, I do know that they continue uh, to remain active, and, and I think they, they want to continue to hold meetings. Um, and I imagine that there will be various other protests or means of, um, of disclosing their message um, in the coming months. Um, but no, I'm not entirely sure of what their direct plans are. Um, coming up or whether they, they're, they may, they're uh, intending on holding any major events. Alex Dom, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our audio engineer, Tom Miratello, and to Alex Dom and Jemima McAvoy for providing content for today's podcast. My name is Sayer Devlin, and stay tuned for next week's News Flash.